the study of theology is the study of the word or the idea or the concept or the logic of God himself. Took me four years to read the Bible. I reckon I understand a great deal of it. Wasn't what I expected in some places. So I'm sad that we're not on the same page eschatologically. I wish Sam Storms and I were on the same page. So you believe in these kind of things? Let's just say I want to believe. Well, I know where he was converted. He was converted on the toilet. That, I, I like that one. We're you gonna would. To, you could say he was saying I was in the dumps, whatever. Just, well, which stall what? was he in? First John, second John, no, 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 third no, no, John. Wait, wait, wait. Let's let be careful here. He had bowel problems. He struggled with constipation. The argument among certain psychologists, he finally experienced relief with constipation. And in that moment of relief and deliverance, he suddenly... I wasn't getting that graphic. <laughs> he suddenly, you know, had this breakthrough discovery. And all of his fetid guilt, he released. Welcome to Theology Unplugged. We're going to talk about... Uh, it was the Reformation necessary. We're at a point in our... In our uh, study of the Reformation, again, we're doing the Reformation because we're on the uh, 500th year anniversary this year, and we're going to spend the rest of this year, at least I think the rest of this year, talking about different aspects of the uh, Reformation. However, Michael, in light of our comments in the previous podcast, we we were somewhat of a consensus here that the Reformation really should be marked um, in um, April of 1521, when yeah. Luther appeared at the Diet of Worms. So maybe we need to postpone the worldwide celebration of the Reformation for four more years. Well, as long as everybody's <laughs> listening to <laughs> this, maybe they will. We'll do it again. I don't think they're going to pay any Fine, I'll wait. No. But <laughs> there, there has been a movement, I think, and it's happening more and more, I think, where people are looking at the Reformations and in some ways thinking like, wow, it was so nice when the church was just kind of one church. And now look at all of these Protestant denominations that we have and, and just all of the spread that has happened and, and all the disagreement among the denominations. Like, I kind of wish the Reformation would have never happened because look how how splintered we've been since the Reformation. Couldn't we all just get along? Yeah, so yeah we live in a different world too than Luther lived in. I I mean, look at the look at the world. He he was, he was at, at uh, the pain of death as he yeah. as he finished his uh, speech in Worms. Yeah, and you know, would, would something like that happen today? No, I mean, you're not going to go to the uh, you're not going to get burned at the stake for disagreeing with a different uh, a church institution or denomination unless you live in certain countries on the other side of the earth there you, you go. do get burned at the stake you better believe it uh, hey, but um, here's a question that might launch us into what we want to talk about today uh, tim a moment ago said there was only one church was there really a church was late medieval catholicism a true church of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. One faith, one hope, one baptism. I mean, let's think about it. Now, we're not we're not saying there weren't true born-again Christians. God had a people, he's always had a there people. Were, yeah, there was a body on on the earth. Right. But was was there I, I guess maybe the question should be asked this way. At what point does a quote-unquote church, whether it's a denomination or an institution like Roman Catholicism, cross a line 
that that leads us to conclude it is no longer legitimate to say this is the representation of the body of Christ on earth. In other words, how much can you deny? How much can you corrupt before you cease to be a legitimate expression of the body of Jesus on this earth? And that's a weighty that's a weighty oh, topic. It's a massive weighty. Yeah. I think I think Luther initially Luther still said, "No, I'm a part of the Roman Catholic Church," even when he posted mm-hmm. his theses. But within the next four to five years, he came to a different conclusion. Mm-hmm. He concluded that the church had fallen into such theological and ethical compromise that it had ceased to be a true church of Jesus Christ. Um, and so that's going to bear directly on our question, was the Reformation necessary? Um, and you, you got to remember, it was called the Catholic Church at that time. We put Roman Catholic, and any good, solid Roman Catholic today would see that as pejorative, you know, being yeah. Roman Catholic, Roman Universal, you know. Yeah. It's like uh, Oklahoma City Universal. It's it's not really universal. And so yeah. everybody wants it to be just the Catholic Church, and that that's what it was up until that point. Well, and we do have the 1054 schism of the church. Yeah, so we have the East and the West, yeah. but yeah. if you live in the West, West, there you would have the perspective that there's only one church. Isn't it true that Roman that that phrase didn't originate until I think Elizabeth, Elizabeth the Roman first? Catholic? Is that true? Yeah, I don't well, know. It was it, much it later. It definitely wasn't something they were saying at the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, listen to this though. I mean, here, here's let's say was it necessary? Here's here's part of the transition. Here's the way people think because we sit here and we admire people like Luther, and as we get into other people with Calvin and and uh, Tyndale but you look at those guys and you look at their their doctrine and we say man this is great stuff look how he stood up but what did they do afterwards they followed some of the same practices right it was very exclusivistic it was very much if you aren't part of our group then you're outside of the church then you're not saved and sometimes they would uh, hunt them down and and burn them as heretics as well and so you have you have the same type of attitude transitioning where people look at this and say, yeah, you know, it it it, it was that there's some aspects of it maybe that was necessary, but it really wasn't because it just followed in the same pattern as before. It was just a child of the age, and we need to disown the entire family of that age. What? And this is a, uh, obviously a very relevant question for today. I'm coming back to my point. What are the minimal essentials uh, that must be in place for a body of <laughs> believers or a self-identified group to be legitimately called a church? Now, let's think about this. Late medieval Catholicism. And you're, you're distinguishing right now between legitimately called a Christian and some, some local body legitimately called a church, right? Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm thinking I'm trying to get us back to the 16th century. Okay. I'm trying to put us in the mindset of Luther or of Calvin. Now, late medieval Catholicism, they still affirmed the Trinity, right? They still affirmed the deity of Christ, his virgin birth, sinless life, death on the cross, bodily resurrection, still believed in his second coming. So those fundamental elements, those things that we typically find in the Nicene, the Apostles' And the Bible as an authority. Yeah, as an authority. But the other things that had crept in by uh, tradition and practice that had corrupted and undermined such as the endorsement of the notion of the sale of indulgences or some of the superstitions surrounding the transubstantiation in the mass. Um, Worshiping saints? Yeah, worship of the saints, uh, uh, purgatory, praying to those um, 
um, who had already died praying to the saints, uh, the veneration of Mary, Mary yeah. uh, the uh, the introduction of a meritorious basis for salvation, penance. Uh, we could go on and on and on. All these things we talked about several podcasts ago. Do those at some point constitute a forfeiture of a legitimacy to say we are truly Christian? Let me let me put it this way, at least for me. I would say they might. Well, <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Way to take, take a stand. stand. Yeah. No, no. What was that? Luther. He can do no other. Luther and Burns, they might. Was that a spaghetti spine you mentioned <laughs> earlier? No, listen, listen. <laughs> to the degree that people God are emphasizing him. these, what we would call maybe, uh, uh, just to put it kindly, secondary issues, right? Let's say you, you do pray to the saints. But let's say that's kind of a secondary issue, you know. It, it, the primary thing is you've got Jesus and you, he's the sinner and people are praying to him, but that's, that's something else. You have Mary, but it's a secondary thing. It, it's whenever these things become your focus, whenever Mary becomes your focus, that well, whatever you're saying, uh, you know, oh, she's not my God, but she is the one that I go to primarily, Functionally speaking, she becomes your God. And, so, and I, I that's where this, I would have the big problem so, with it. So the real issue is, at what point do these tangential secondary mm-hmm. issues undermine the centrality of the gospel? Yeah. Was late medieval Catholicism proclaiming the biblical gospel? That's but what I, the reformers said. Yeah. No, they aren't. Yeah. That's but, why we're breaking. Yeah. But Sam, I think what I would in some ways disagree with, though, is looking at the church in Corinth. Right, that had massively disguised the gospel, yet they still seem, in Paul's eyes, to be a church, right? Or, uh, or the seven churches in the Book of Revelation, like, seem to have gone astray, yet they're still called an well, ecclesia. Uh, wait, 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 John, you get I, what I'm? I, yeah, but I would challenge like, that. When I, does I would? I would I'm going to challenge your challenge. I don't I'm just believe the you know. Corinthians had abandoned <laughs> or compromised the gospel. Yeah. The only place that but Paul I see... had to remind them of the gospel, though. Well, that's in true, 15. but that doesn't mean what that about they Galatians. Galatians, Patty, the... or uh, Patty. Yeah, Gary, this is, is an is argument between one... Sam and I. <laughs> Galatians is the one book where Paul basically said to them, "You know, another have, have you abandoned the gospel? If uh, you, you've embraced another uh, another gospel, which, which is, is not no another, because there's only one." But if you ask Paul, is are they are you writing to the church in that area? I think he would say, yeah, I'm writing to the church because in that area. Because he believed there were true born again people there. But yeah. he also said in uh, was it chapter five or six? I can't remember. Have chapter. I delivered it to you in vain? Yeah, and he also said, yeah, well, uh, but you that's have, his delivery. If you embrace uh, circumcision yeah, as necessary, you yeah. have fallen from grace. You have basically abandoned the grace gospel. Yeah. So again, Paul always believed that there were Christians there who had united and covenanted with one another. There was a genuine church. But I'm wondering when you look at Rome or the Catholic Church at the end of the uh, of the medieval period, had they so far corrupted and compromised the fundamentals of the gospel mm. and the grace of God in Christ that it ceased to be a legitimate church? Here, here's what I'd say about Rome, especially as we look at it today. Um, 
you, you said earlier, uh, maybe it's not, it wasn't one church, you know, and maybe there's not just one Roman Catholic church. I'd say today there's not. I mean, if you're saying one by name, sure, we all call ourselves Roman Catholic. Institutionally one, but theologically multiple. Theologically, all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff going on in different churches sure. and with different Catholics. And I'll meet one church or one Catholic that goes to this one church, and they emphasize the central centrality of Jesus and don't focus upon those other sure. things and, and focus upon grace alone. Now, they, they're not going to abandon the doctrines of Trent or or uh, but but you know the, there's a lot of stuff that yeah, happened yeah. in 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 um, Vatican II that have just kind of thrown everything to into a tailspin where you don't uh, the Roman Catholics don't know where to go with their stuff and you know it, beforehand everything was so definitive and now it's not so definitive anymore. So so yeah. if. So was Luther then wrong in 1517 and 1521? If the Roman Catholic Church at that time was truly the church, then was he wrong? Was he in sin for dividing in this way? If they were still affirming what seems to be some of the essentials of the Christian faith, mm-hmm. if, if they had not abandoned the, the gospel, yeah, was Luther the heretic? Well, look, I mean, I mean, if Luther you know, materialized among us. Mm-hmm. I think that he would uh, defend himself on this and, say, and challenge the premise of what you're asking because clearly, theologically, if you say, well, was he right in terms of um, what he thought about what the Bible says versus the church's authority and purgatory, blah, blah, blah. We'd all say, yeah, he was right. We've already gone over that. Okay, so I'm not a heretic then in the truest sense. I'm biblical. Okay, great. Luther put no plan in place for everything that transpired that happened sort yeah. of naturally organically or just whatever because luther definitely didn't condone so he would say, a lot of what happened yeah i mean yeah. if a guy just calls his shot and stands on, on the right side and the chips fall wherever they fall and he can't control all that then is it fair to then say you were wrong for doing x y and z when x y and z basically just happened on their own and the only way unless you're suggesting you should have that this your theological beef was not substantial enough to do something that would lead to all this chaos. Well, it, it raises the question, who's responsible for the Reformation, Luther or late medieval Catholicism? Did they push him? You know, if, if Luther had been heard at Worms, if he had not been excommunicated, if they had allowed him to stay within the church and articulate his views and dialogued openly with him, would he have split? Would he have birthed the Lutheran movement um, that's a good question. So maybe Catholicism itself, we say it's a tragedy, but it's a tragedy that they themselves have to take responsibility for. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and saying that it was necessary is not a wholesale, you know, this everything in Rome was wrong, everything about the church was wrong. It is saying that there are certain things that had been lost that are essential to the gospel, had been lost, had been Golly, blinded. I'm not saying people weren't Christians at the time, and I'm not saying you couldn't fall under the Roman Catholic system and even believe it because, you know, I, I believe that somebody can be saved by faith alone while thinking their works contribute. You know, mm-hmm. like they trusted in Christ and they were saved, and then they think their works well, contribute. Well, we're not point. debating the question here. Let's make I know, I know. Yeah. We, I think we all agree at this table. I, 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 well, I don't want to speak for everybody. Um, I'll speak for myself. <laughs> we believe that there are true born-again Christians 
who are faithful, active members in the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, today. absolutely. Liberal! And, absolutely. And, well, like I said, I couldn't speak for everybody because there's one person shaking her head. <laughs> who, might, who might that be? She's the Lutheran at the table. No, but I would say whoever calls spine. upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right. There, so if, if there are born-again Catholics today, which I believe there are, it's in spite of sure. the teachings of the Roman Catholic and Church. And I also want to say this, that it is a big deal to get the person and work of Christ right. Well, I mean, it's, it, I mean, no, no, it really is. Well, no, it really scripture. And it takes us to it takes us to the the Reformation deal. idea of semper reformandum too, which is that the church is always reforming. Yeah. So it's not like it's like okay, all Protestant churches are perfect and all non-Protestant churches are right. terrible. And I think that's why it's hard sometimes to navigate, was this church a true church? It's because all churches are messed up. Sure. And and the, the and that's why all churches are gifted with leadership and, and leadership is raised up and all those things in every single church because we every single church needs to always be reformed. So you're saying, you're, let's, let, you said true church, you didn't say perfect church. Exactly. We acknowledge no exactly. church is perfect. Yeah. But here's the question. Luther came to the point at which he finally recognized and acknowledged openly the Roman Catholic Church as a religious institution is irreparably broken. In other words, it cannot be reformed from within. He came to that conclusion. They didn't give him much of a choice in that, sentencing him to death. So (laughs) they forced his hand. But Luther was convinced by what the corruption that he had seen, theologically and, and ethically, that this institution no longer sufficiently represents the will and the ways of God on earth that would constitute it as a true church. And therefore, as far as if Luther were here and he heard us say, was the Reformation necessary? He'd say, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Come back and see the condition of mm-hmm. Christians that I saw, that I witnessed, and, and it's a slam dunk answer. Yes, it was necessary. Well, wouldn't he, yeah. maybe he would say Reformation was definitely necessary was the reformation that is the forms that it took like the, could, the could sprouting it, of new movements this yeah. all that and i think you would say well you know apparently because look it happened so yeah, yeah. i mean i don't i don't know if uh i don't know it's like what tim said earlier um we were talking about forums and he said you know they didn't how do you negotiate he gave it a he gave it the old college try i post my stuff on the door Let's see what the what transpires by way of debate and discussion. Okay, I'll show up here and defend myself. Okay, but you cannot deal. You can't. There's no reforming from mm-hmm. the top. No, no one's well, listening. No one cares. Yeah, uh, going back to what Michael said in the previous uh, podcast, we we're talking about authority. That you have to wrestle with the issue of ultimate um, theological religious authority. The bottom line is, you could probably. Th- survive side by side in a church or in a denomination in which some of the people believed in purgatory and others didn't. You could live in a church where some people believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary and others didn't. Luther believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary. So did Calvin for that matter. Something we can get into later. In other words, there there can be difference. You might even be able to get along in the same church with somebody who believed in the interceding for the, the saints interceding for us in heaven. But there's simply no way possible that you can thrive and minister successfully when one person says the ultimate final authority for deciding all theological matters is the word of God written versus somebody else who says, oh, no, no, 
that authority is one, but it's actually subordinate to the authority of the magisterium in Rome and the yeah. tradition of the church. Those cannot coexist. Yeah. Now, Roman Catholics wouldn't today probably say it's subordinate, would they? Even well, if it's they functionally, would say, they would it say is. this: they would say there's a three-legged stool, and you got the the traditions of the church councils and uh, and uh, meetings and papal apple, decrees, yeah, dual source, and then and then the Bible, and then the church. The living authority has to interpret both those. Yeah, and so in the, sense, the it stands pope, over both. Of the those. pope in convocation yeah. with the cardinals—that's the magisterium. Yeah. They are the final definitive authority for determining what Scripture means. Scripture is not allowed to tell them what it means if, if at, they happen to disagree. I mean, the fact of the matter is the magisterium has declared the doctrine of papal infallibility. Mm-hmm. It's declared the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception of Mary and her bodily assumption. I think the Scripture says, no, you're wrong. That's contrary to the Word of God. So ultimately, when it comes down to practice, the, the the authority that carries the trump card is the magisterium. Well, here, here's what I would say is the greatest tragedy of the Reformation was Trent. Because it finalized in 1546. Uh, Trent the Council of the Roman years, Catholic Church. The Council yeah. of the Roman Catholic Church. It finalized. And it, it, it made a solid declaration and doctrine against what Luther was saying. Not just did it while trying to maybe reform the, oh, some sure. of the moral stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, they're willing and, and, to concede. And then they finalized the the authority of the Pope at this point because it had not been dogmatized yet. It, it was part of a doctrine, and you got to understand Roman Catholics distinguish between doctrine, yeah. which is not. Uh, it's authoritative, but it's not infallible. And dogma, which is infallible, and the authority of the Pope was was dogmatized at Trent. And that's whenever you say, wow, it really just happened. I mean, we could say the Reformation really happened in 1546 in some way. Well, and this is an important thing. We're going to have to devote an entire session to the Council of Trent because right. I, I want to, let's, let's go on record with something here. Um, we're not suggesting that there, was, that there were no efforts at internal reform sure. within the Catholic Church in the 16th century because there were. And it eventually culminated in what historians have called the Catholic Counter-Reformation. Mm-hmm. Now, Catholic scholars say drop the word counter yeah. because it sounds as if what we what they're saying, what we did in the, like culminated in, the, in yeah. 1544 to 46, that was the Catholic Reformation. Yeah. And it would have happened even had there not been a Martin Luther. So right. don't call it counter. But there were trends. There were individuals. There were, there were societies, movements, mm-hmm. collections of of both men and women who were committed to purifying the church theologically and morally that they believe culminated in Trent. Yeah. Um, and so we need, we do need to acknowledge that. We don't we don't want to demonize everything in the Catholic Church in the 16th century and the people and and you were the, whenever you say was it necessary getting back to that original question. I think one of the things that we're looking at is we're saying does it does it compromise the gospel to the degree that the gospel is no longer effective, right? Right. Uh, and and the, one of the things is whenever you talk about the gospel, I mean the gospels in some sense you got the centrality of the gospel in First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen where you got the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, dying for our sins, and then you've got the entirety of the gospel, which is basically the book of Romans. You know, Paul talks about the gospel that he meant to go to Rome, but now he's going to preach to you right now. And the whole book of Romans is the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news, and it's from beginning to end. 
sinned. Right. Now, do people and do individual churches compromise parts of the gospel? Yes. Well, I mean, we all. They I, get I, in I the way of it. They cloud it. They confuse yeah, it a little. Isn't it yeah. a distinction between the content of the gospel and the means of appropriation? Mm-hmm. So, for example, I think we could sit with Roman Catholics today and we could say, do we all agree Jesus Christ is God the Son, incarnate in human flesh, who lived a sinless life? died a substitutionary death, rose bodily from the grave. We would all say yes. And we would say, is that the foundation for reconciliation with God alone? Roman Catholics would say, absolutely. But then we say, how do you receive the benefits of what Christ did? Mm. Is it, so then we have to ask the question, is sola gratia and sola fide at the very heart of the gospel? And Catholics would have to say no. Um, so we're talking here, is the reality of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, the essence of the gospel? And if it is, Luther, of course, who affirmed it, would say there, the Catholic Church was hopelessly enmeshed in errors and deviations and corruptive practices that made sola gratia and sola fide impossible to affirm and to believe. Well, could we, just for the sake of like crazy clarity, could we say that there's building A that has a church sign out front and there's building B that has a church sign out front and you have 10 people go into A and 10 people go into B and those people are willing to do anything that the people inside say you must do. So 10 people go in A, 10 people go in B. What we could be saying is that if all 10 of those people go into building A, that and they do everything they're told to do, they still go to hell. Where the 10 people that go into building B and do everything that they're told to do, go to heaven. And that I Luther- think we need to start a reformation the, with building C. Yeah, <laughs> but, but where Luther would say, would you, would you not agree that Luther would say the institutional church of the day got to the point where if people did what they were told to do in the way they were told to do- And believed it. And believed it, they would go to hell. I think yeah. Luther would say that, yes. Yeah. Which, would, which would make Luther say that is not a church right, because, yeah. a, because a yeah. church is used by the body of Christ for people to go I to mean, heaven. The truth is still in there. I mean, Bibles well, Luther are still would say the sitting same around. Thing later and on the about the Anabaptists. Creeds are still said and uh, believed. For crying out loud, Luther referred to the Pope as the, the Antichrist. The whore of Babylon. <laughs> well, remember, remember what he does with everybody else, too. But that's I mean, later. That's, he doesn't, that's, he, it's not limited to Rome. It's Gary, not limited you need to Rome. not be so Rome, calm. Luther begins to exclude the gospel. <laughs> well, would, would Luther no believe the Anabaptists are saved? Uh, no. The Anabaptists. There were multiple yeah, expressions of Anabaptists. There were radical Anabaptists. There were Mennonites. Balthazar. He, he didn't like any of them. Well, he didn't, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't have consigned all of them to the no. pit of hell. I can no. assure you of that. And he no. wouldn't okay. have called like Felix Mons the Antichrist. Yeah. The point is, if y'all are asking if Luther thought Rome at that point was a legitimate church, I would have to say. Well, he's calling the head of the church the Antichrist. Oh, let, let me, let me, let me well, give you, let me give you a scripture. Okay, he, Luther would say there are true Christians in an illegitimate expression of the church that, on earth. Even that's, today. In First John, in First John, John says no one can say that Jesus has come in the flesh except by the Spirit of God. Right. And, and does he come in the flesh? Mormons say that. I mean, uh, th- that's yeah. assuming at the same time, it's assuming that he's God as well. 
That's, Muslims that, say because, that. <laughs> because yeah. the controversy has to do with uh, him coming in the flesh because they did believe that he was God. Right. That's that's an essential confession, but yeah. it's not well, a sufficient but, confession. But can people, can, people, can people say that without the Spirit of God? Sure. They and course, truly believe it. it. Truly believe it. Truly believe it. No. Okay. So you got building A. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you have building the, A. The total the, here, look, okay, again with building let me, A. Let me, let me get you to where everybody's talking about the Reformation today and kind of the emerging church and how everybody's going. You mean We've the got, ecumenists. Yeah, and I'm not going to say who says it. I'll, I'll, say it yeah, I'll say it off air in just a little bit. But uh, I, I've, got, uh, I've got a friend that all of you all know, a, a scholar, who says that whenever it comes down to it with him these days, if you believe that Jesus is God and you believe in the resurrection, boom, you've got it. Good. Yeah. Well, we know who those people are. <laughs> <laughs> but but his well, his deal is distinguishing from liberals, uh, the, the whole idea we are much closer to Roman Catholics than we are to liberal Protestants. Well, well and, and that, that may be true in many ways. That may be true, but that doesn't mean that either of them is necessarily an expression of a okay, church. Okay, but, but here's, here's the question. You said the question is appropriation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and one group may say, as long as you've got Jesus, the person and work of Christ, the means of appropriation is not the important issue. As long as you truly believe that he died for your sins and that he rose from the grave and that he is God, boom, you're saved. And you've got the essence of the gospel. But you have to define belief. What does that mean? No, 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 no. Wait, wait. I'm, I've, the got a, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a slam dunk. I've got a slam I, I dunk right here. I think the Judaizers right had Jesus. I've got what a slam dunk right here. The means of appropriation, ultimately for us, we, we'll talk about it and we say faith alone, right? But the means of appropriation, ultimately for each one of us, I believe sitting at the table, we would agree, is the Spirit of God. That is the means of appropriation. And... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 way in which we acknowledge the spirit of God's movement in us is by faith alone, is by a certain expressions and beliefs. Now we're going to have to leave it at that because I'm sure we've got a lot to talk talk about after this. Mm -hmm. But I think I think uh, you know you've got Building A, and we have to discuss Building A, Jesus. Person work of Christ, building B, Jesus person work of Christ plus faith alone. I feel like this turned into the Diet of Worms, but in the in the spirit of wrapping it up, at the, I'm going to ask that, and also in the spirit of of, uh, of Hank Hanegraaff, I'm going to ask our own the Reformation answer man, Sam, to say something peace loving and ecumenical and profound, so we can stop this because we got to go. <laughs> peace loving and ecumenical. No profound too. Just uh, go with the profound. profound. Don't worry about I the I think the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God has done everything necessary through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, that we, by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, might be reconciled to him forever. And to the extent that that is qualified, nuanced, or compromised is the extent to which we've abandoned the biblical gospel and thus moved ourselves off of dead center from being a true church to being something less. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Theology Unplugged, let me tell you about some of the other resources we have available. Visit us online at credohouse.org and browse over 2,000 articles on everything from the Crusades to gay marriage. Sign up for email updates and get the latest news, event announcements, and special deals before anyone else. Connect with us on social media. 
Just search Credo House on Twitter and Facebook. And you can always email us at theologyunplugged at credohouse.org. We want you to be part of the Credo community. Please partner with us in making theology accessible and pushing back the intellectual attack on Christianity. Thank you.